the greater the resistance, the greater opportunity for breaking through. And the only way through is through, not around. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Executive Order Podcast, a show for small business owners who want to learn how to do less to accomplish more. I'm a professional organizer based in Somerville, South Carolina, and I know there isn't a one-size-fits-all for organizing within your business. In talking with my guests and chatting about our struggles, our wins, and our lessons learned, I hope that you can learn what works best to create a business and a life that's just right for you. Good morning. We are chatting with Kat Wood of the D.C. area this morning. Um, Her approach to to the work she does is definitely something that is new to me, so I'm really excited to hear how she talks about it. I definitely have some questions about the work she does. Good morning. Happy to be here with you. So tell me, how, how, so how would you describe what it is that you do? There's a word in there that I had to Google. So if you would give us a little like kind of breakdown of what that all means. Yeah, absolutely. At a very high level, I'm a professional certified coach. I work primarily with women entrepreneurs who are typically very heart-centered and empathic and um, in the service-oriented business. And I'm specifically trained, and I'm guessing this was the word, as an ontological coach, which is the study of being. And And the way I like to describe it is that, you know, I work like any coach does helping clients declare their goals and figuring out very tactically who they, what they need to do in order to get there. And those are kind of like the, the nuts and bolts of coaching, but the really, the art of coaching is around the mindset work, the ways of being, the limiting beliefs, the judgments, the fears, the stories that we relate to as true about ourselves that are fundamentally what hold us back from being and doing what it would take in order to reach our goals. And so when I work with clients while I'm listening to everything that they're saying, all the content and the juicy details of how they're getting in their own way and sabotaging their dreams, I'm really listening for those fundamental belief systems and ways of being that are at the heart of the matter. And as I work with clients to help them gain new insights around who they're being, we hook new practices to those new awarenesses in order to really integrate those new ways of being into how they operate and how they show up in their life. So, you know, ultimately the the goal and the and the result of clients who I work with is human transformation. They don't just come to me to fix a problem or solve the current drama du jour. Like they come to me to create a distinct experience of their life. So when you say that they're having some sort of struggle, I, I think that you had referred to it, um, you know, the, the habits that they're, they're limiting beliefs about themselves. That's how you refer to it. Do they know those going into it? Or are you helping them discover those throughout your work together? Yeah. So the interesting thing is that we all have some sense of our limiting beliefs or our inner critic. And as we work towards getting more into relationship with that egoic or fear-based part of ourselves, we uncover all of the other areas and the ways in which it shows up in our life. I mean, just to give you some context, I have been in business for seven years and I'm consistently up-leveling as I get into a deeper relationship with my own inner critic and my own limiting beliefs. I heard a really great quote recently that says, 
if you're looking to grow, become an entrepreneur <laughs> because you constantly are seeing how you get in your own way of how you manage your time, of how much you're believing yourself worthy of charging, of how productive you are, of how you allow support of your business boundaries. Like all of those habits are based on our limiting beliefs. I've never heard that quote before, but man, did that like hit a nerve because yeah, you definitely find yourself, even if, if you're trying and being super aware, but there's constantly as time goes on, whether it's changes within your environment or your business that, that you have to adapt to, or you're just finding like, wait a minute, if I'm being honest, I'm not really using this time the best way. I really need to, to step back or I'm having something interfere with that. And like you said, maybe those are those limiting beliefs and maybe it's that um, inner critic that is just not really letting you push as far forward as you could be or should be. Yeah. What was it about this work that that got you into this? Is this always the the world that you were working in or was there something you were doing previously? Yeah, I think this is why we originally connected because my background is actually as a senior economist for the federal government. And prior to that, I worked in international development. I was a Peace Corps volunteer and I then stayed on after my uh, service was over and I worked for two years in sustainable tourism. But I, so I actually lived in the Dominican Republic for four years and it was really also the start of my, uh, I don't, I, well, I guess I'd call it a journey to wholeness, but you know, I was living in the, mm. in the Dominican and I felt like I had this dream life. You know, I had a dream, a dream life that many like aspire to. I lived in the Caribbean. I spent my weekends at the beach. I had beautiful men fawning over me. I spent all my evenings dancing and I did really meaningful work. And yet I really felt like there was something missing. Like on the outside, everything looked amazing, but on the inside, I was really unhappy and it was the beginning of this journey to kind of figure out what was missing in life. And I find that that's oftentimes something that draws people to coaching. It was also how I got my foot in the door, but my journey really started kind of in a meandering way. I went back to school, which I find many people do. And I thought, Oh, maybe I just need another degree. So I got my MBA and that was not the not the puzzle piece I was looking for. And then I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I just need to move back to the States. Maybe I'm homesick. So I came to DC and my family lives in North of Boston. And that was not what I was looking for either. That didn't solve it. And when I came to DC, I got a job with the federal government and, you know, it felt very desirable at the time for Anyone who doesn't live in the DMV area, you know, working for the government is very admirable and something to feel proud of. But as soon as I got to DC and I found that all my peers also worked for the government and that I was spending my day stuck behind two computer monitors staring at just a sea of data, I realized that this was absolutely not what I was looking for. And after being in the government a couple of years, uh, a friend of mine was getting trained as a coach. And every time she would talk about the work that she was learning about, the books she was reading, the post-it notes that were up all over her walls, 
I was just so jealous. And at the time I was like, this is a problem. I can't be jealous of her, but you know, with discovery, I've just come to realize that jealousy is often simply a sign of something that we want for ourselves. And I went and I learned more about her program and I observed her program one day in person. And I was sitting along the side of a wall, watching these coaches coach and be coached and trained by the leaders. And I had this light bulb moment that I realized that I had been coaching people my whole life. And I didn't know that there was an industry or a a career for it. That was really my foot in the door. And in my program, as I trained to become a coach, I was also coached and I've been coached consistently since I started my business, but it, it really helped me realize that that thing that I'd been searching for that was missing was fundamentally at the heart of the matter that I didn't love myself and that no matter how beautiful and desirable my career looked on the outside and however much I accomplished or however many degrees or acronyms I added to the end of my signature, it was never going to fill this void of how I felt about myself on the inside. And my first huge breakthrough in working with my own coach and in transforming those limiting beliefs was in learning to love and like who I saw in the mirror every morning. And that's a breakthrough that has been consistently expanding and growing over the years. And as it has, it's totally transformed my relationship to what's possible for me in life and what I'm able to create in my business and in how I manage my time and in my relationship with my partner. You know, if we don't believe we're deserving of love, we search for it in all the wrong ways. What did it feel like to come to that realization? Did you resist at all the the idea that you didn't love yourself? Or when you heard that, when you and your coach came to that, was it like an aha? How, how did it make you feel? Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. An absolute aha. And I did resist it because that that feeling of wanting to prove that you're worthy or that you're deserving or that you're good enough, it's, it's like a sugar rush. You know, you uh, work really hard and you accomplish X or, you know, I pull in a, all weekender to finish this job and you get that like instantaneous surge of feeling good and then it goes away and then you're back to the rat race. And so I did resist it because I had to totally reprogram how I got my own needs Mm -hmm. met and what it felt like. It's such a beautiful question. What it felt like it was a lot more self-compassion, a lot more being connected with my needs and what made me feel good simply by how I treated myself. I think my morning routine is a really good example of it, a really tangible example of it, because when I started coaching, I still worked for the government. So I was coaching. I worked from nine to five and I worked in my business from five to nine, you know, like all hours of the day and the week. And I would coach clients. Like at one point I had a client in Bangkok and another client in Sydney. And I would literally coach my client in Sydney at 5 a.m. and then go speak with my client in Bangkok at 6 a.m. And I had no boundaries around when I worked, when I didn't work, when I took care of myself. 
And these days, my first call with a client starts at 11 a.m. Like even getting on a phone with you at 9 a.m. Eastern is an anomaly for me. Like usually I don't, I don't start calls before 11. And these days I have a two to three hour morning routine that really sets me up starting the day. Like I've already, I'm already feeling like I've won. So there's nothing to prove because I've already met those needs for myself. Oh, I love the habit of, of morning routine. And I love the fact that you're saying it's, you've already, you don't have to then after doing your routine, prove anything else because you've already satisfied all your own needs. What do you incorporate into your morning routine? It's constantly evolving, which is also just like mm. so fun. You know, when I started, um, coaching, I was so bad at, uh, maintaining healthy habits. Like my coach, he always amazed me because he was a CrossFitter and he worked out. I think he worked out six days a week and he was just a hundred percent reliable to work out in the morning. And I was like, how do you do that? I can't do that. <laughs> and I've come to realize that building habits is just a reflection of building that ability to trust yourself and be reliable to what you say you're committed to. It's really strengthening your relationship with your word. And these days, my relationship with my word is one of the most important promises that I keep. So these days, I typically am an early morning riser. I typically wake up between five and six. I meditate for 11 minutes. This year, I'm reading A Course in Miracles. So I read the daily lesson from that workbook. Um, I have a glass of warm lemon water, which I don't know if you've ever tried it, but it 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 has this wonderful ability to balance your pH levels and take out any acid reflex or just kind of like junk you ate from the night before. It always soothes my stomach. Um, and then I'll have a cup of coffee and I start my morning. Typically I start my morning reading because I find that in the early morning hours, my mind is quiet enough that I can enjoy reading without feeling like I should be doing something else. So I'll read for 30 minutes or sometimes an hour if I get up early enough. And I love reading. It oftentimes really sources my sense of inspiration and creativity. But for some clients, I don't recommend reading because I think some of us have a knack of intellectualizing ourselves out of changing our lives. You know, we can understand how we're getting in our own way intellectually and stop there rather than integrate the new awarenesses and learnings into how we operate. But for me, reading really inspires me. So I'll read and then I journal. And I also used to hate journaling. I had a, a long childhood track record of only journaling when I was heartbroken about a boy. <laughs> but journaling is actually now a practice I really deeply, deeply love. And I uh, journal to uh, God, actually. And I write a letter, mm -hmm. Dear God. And I share whatever is on my heart, whatever I'm struggling with, whatever I'm grateful for, whatever's happening in the world, whatever I'm creating in my business, just really whatever is present for me. And then I write a letter back to myself from the divine part of me that already has access to the answers. And it's become a really beautiful practice in strengthening my intuition, which I you know, used to have this story that I, 
I wasn't intuitive, <laughs> which I think is all BS, but so I journal and then I have a couple of like fun practices this, that I sometimes I'm a little bashful to share, but I, I'm, I really like numerology. I think it's really fascinating. And I oftentimes will pull a, pull a card for the day, which shares kind of like my number and just a mantra based on my numerology. Louise Hay has a really beautiful book called Colors and Numbers, which I particularly appreciate. And then I'll come to my office and I'll write down my top five priorities for the day. I call them my fab five. And I find that that's oftentimes a really great way to focus uh, my efforts and how I want to spend my time that day, knowing that any, any complete task, any of those five, if I complete them is a win, it's not a zero sum game. These are just the most important tasks that if I were to focus my time on today would make the biggest difference in moving my goals forward. And then I have breakfast and start my day. I love how involved it is. I love that it's, it feels like it feeds several different pieces of you. And I had never heard of that, that practice of writing to divine spirit and then replying as the divine spirit. And I can completely see how that would train and hone your intuition. And I, I think that's such a cool practice, something I definitely want to give a, a try and just see how that, that goes for me. Cause I think that would be a really neat way to, to grow your intuition and really tune into yourself and that we do have the answers. We, we yeah. might not think it, but we, we do have the answers when we really get quiet and, and tune in. Thank you for sharing, for, for sharing all of that. That's really, I think that's such a great practice. And, and it sounds like when you were talking about creating those habits, that it wasn't easy for you to start to get into having a morning routine. How long did it take you before it's like just second nature that it would be really strange for you to start your day without doing any of that? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's such a great question. And, you know, as you were answering that, I was like thinking back on my morning routine and there are two, two pieces, which I didn't mention, which were are working out and taking a bubble bath. And it's fascinating. I didn't mention them because I oftentimes do work out in the morning, but I just, I think it speaks to your question because once you have a morning routine, it can evolve and it becomes more of an experience versus something that we try to get perfect. And I think that default desire to, to be more committed to perfection over progress is oftentimes one of the greatest inhibitors to actually incorporating a morning routine and allowing it to become second nature. So when I work with clients, I oftentimes have them try to get really connected with the experience or qualities or really just like that, like feeling that they want to have from their morning routine and then be more committed to creating that feeling versus checking all the tasks in their morning routine off their list and that was totally the mindset shift that it took me to integrate my morning routine into becoming uh, consistent. And if I'm being totally honest, it probably took me three years <laughs> to become ingrained. And I think it's important to tell the truth because 
you know, we're all on our own timeline to transformation. There, there's no, there's no same timeline for anyone. It's all our own unique divine path. And I find that we oftentimes give up on ourselves too soon. And I can't imagine if I had given myself, given up on myself at the two and a half year mark when I was so close to changing just my complete and utter experience of my day-to-day life. That's what my morning routine is, has resulted in for me. The fact that you can be honest that you, it took you three years, not a short amount of time, to really incorporate it and to really embrace it. Uh, maybe embrace isn't the right word for your experience, but to, to really just solidify that, that this is what you do every morning is so important because I think we often will tell ourselves, I want to do X. And if, if we don't quickly do X, we're a failure. We can't do X. We, we come up with all of these lies, these limited beliefs. We create these stories that maybe these stories also support the idea of who we think we are or maybe who we used to be or whatever it is. It's, it's just not helping us get to where we are. We're not forgiving ourselves that, yeah, I've, I've done really well for 11 days. And on the 12th day, I, just, I didn't want to do it. But that doesn't make me a failure on the 13th mm-hmm. day. On the 13th day, I just try to do it again. I think that we are so quick to say, well, you've got to go all the way back to zero now. And when we aren't forgiving and when we aren't reflecting on the, the work that we have done to, to create that, that bigger picture, we don't get anywhere. Absolutely. I was just going to add it's not like the resistance ever goes away. Anytime we incorporate a new habit into our life, we are going to experience resistance all over again. Because anytime we take on something that's currently outside of our comfort zone, it's uncomfortable for us. And by definition, we resist what's uncomfortable. So it's really about shifting our relationship to that resistance more so than it is thinking we should just be able to do it or that it's going to be automatic or that we have bested that habit. Like, you know, to give you an example, meditation is something that I have resisted historically. And last year I did a year long training to become certified as a Kundalini yoga instructor. And meditation is a huge element of Kundalini yoga. And one of the graduate uh, graduation requirements was that we did a 40 day 31 minute meditation component. So I had to meditate on a meditation cushion for 31 minutes every day for 40 days. And if I missed one of those days, I had to start from the beginning, which happened to me. (laughs) And I had so much resistance to that, like 31 minutes, not doing anything like that's just, that's crazy to me. And, and it's been it was just a really fun experience because I totally resisted the crap out of starting. And then I sabotaged it and I got to like day 27 and then I had to go back to the beginning. And oh, now, now it's become a habit. Now I just do it. No problem. But I actually had to lean in and face that resistance. And that's what we oftentimes avoid as humans. I have learned for myself in my morning practice. So what I have tried to Uh, incorporate into each morning for me is a three minute meditation because I also, 
I like the way that it makes me feel, but it's hard for me to drop in for any amount of time. So for me right now, if I can accomplish three minutes, I feel good. So I, I, I do that. Nice. I journal. I have three different journals. And I will find myself after, so my one journal is I just reflect back on my dreams. I think it's important to keep keep a log of that. I like doing that. I enjoy doing that. Then I write my my goals and aspirations, what my like big to-do dreams are. And then I just do three to five pages of morning pages, if you're familiar with that, where it's just free writing, whatever comes into your mind. And sometimes when I get to the morning pages, I'll get two pages in and go all right, did I, am I done? Am I, and I just remind myself, wait, you're resisting. And there's a reason that you're resisting. That means that you have to keep going because something is, is blocking you. Something feels uncomfortable to keep going. And that's where you really need to keep doing it. Yeah. So I, not to make any assumptions, I try very hard not to do that, but I'm picturing your, your work in the government and now this more heart-centered, human-centered work that you're doing, is there anything from that world and that life that you still incorporate into the work that you do now? Yes. There's a, there's a lot that I incorporate, but I'd say the thing that I'm known for is um, my love for data and tracking. And I think that as we become entrepreneurs and we really master that mindset of learning how to work on our business versus always be in the business. We realize the importance of data and tracking data, but oftentimes when we're just getting started, we don't put enough priority on that. And for me, my second nature of being data oriented really kind of gave me a leg up in my business that I think a lot of um, service-based entrepreneurs and especially service-based entrepreneurs who have higher ticket items, the sooner they can start tracking their own data, the sooner they're ahead of the game because what we track, we manage. And if we don't know what our data says, we bring so much more insecurity and doubt and attachment and fear into business that wouldn't necessarily have to be there if we had a sense of what our data told us. So, I mean, I'm a data junkie, right? Like I love Excel. I love spreadsheets. <laughs> I love pulling regressions and all that jazz. But one thing I do with all of my clients is I share with them this 25 tab. It's like a Excel spreadsheet and has all these different tabs for different data that they might find useful and tracking as they kind of improve their personal and professional productivity and performance. That's a lot of peace, isn't it? <laughs> That's interesting. Love it. Yeah. But so, you know, some of the data that really was a game changer for me was tracking all of my leads, tracking my sales cycle, really having a sense of how many no's I need to get in order to likely or probably receive a yes. What are the months of the year in which times I am typically more full versus have openings? When are the best, you know, very naturally those share kind of what your best seasons are to launch a new program or offering. Um, I track everything in my business and it has really helped me in keeping my business flat 
and allowing the numbers to speak for themselves versus allowing my more fear-based or egoic mind make up decisions for me. I could speak so much more about that, but that's kind of a high level. (laughs) I think specifically because you have had this experience with data, was it both collection and analysis in, in what you had been previously doing? It, it was collection analysis and kind of presentation of. It is such a unique background. Like you said, it's <laughs> be able to incorporate that into a coaching practice because not only are we talking about I don't, I don't mean this with any disrespect, but the warm fuzzies of like tuning into yourself and, and working on the voices and our limiting beliefs, but you're also able to say, and for the more analytical mind or, or what have you, that like, this is A, this is B, this is what C needs to be then. This is exactly, you know, black and white. The numbers are the numbers and this is what it is. Absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you how many new entrepreneurs I've talked to who try to talk themselves off a ledge like, oh, I can't, I can't do this. I can never become a full-time entrepreneur. I just, I'll never get there. Mm -hmm. And then I'll ask them, okay, well, how many phone calls did you make? How many sample sessions did you have? How many people did you ask for referrals? How many networking events did you attend? And the numbers are oftentimes much more black and white than our limiting beliefs and our fears. And so it really just adds another level, another dimension to the conversation where we can just stop BSing ourselves a lot sooner. Mm. Sure, you're afraid, but let's be real about what the data says versus what your inner critic is trying to prevent. I'm sure that has such a reassuring factor. Now, I'm wondering what would the case be if you know, when you ask how many calls have you made, what if the number is low? Are you then trying to to steer them towards, you know, you could if, or is that not part of the conversation? So what I love about my philosophy as a coach is that my number one foundational stand for my clients is that they're the expert of their own life. And I don't assume or pretend to know more about them then they know more about themselves. And while they might not know that they know, my role as a coach is really to be that mirror so that they can access that intuition for themselves in such a way that they're called forward to take a different action. So while I might help them understand the data better and see what it is, I don't problem solve for them. I help them get to a place of choosing what the actions are that they want to take and And everyone, every entrepreneur's journey is so different. You know, I think for some people getting on the phone more often and having more conversations would be a breakthrough. Whereas for other entrepreneurs, just having two or three very powerful conversations with the, the fit, the natural fit client who meets their conditions of satisfaction would be more than enough. It's really around kind of getting to the heart of what, each individual client needs and what they see would serve them best and then committed committing to those actions and those being based practices. What was it about service-based entrepreneurs that you wanted to work with? Yeah, I didn't love that question. I, so 
you know, before we started recording this podcast, you shared that you are, your parents are entrepreneurs and you kind of grew up in that culture. And me too. My father used to be an accountant and my mom was a dietitian. And when I was seven, they gave up uh, their day jobs to become innkeepers and they bought a foreclosed bed and breakfast from the bank. And we all moved like 30 minutes from where I was born to this beautiful coastal New England town. And, and I grew up the daughter of innkeepers working in a bed and breakfast. So for as long as I can remember, I have lived where my parents worked and I've also worked where I lived and I'm very naturally an empathic person and I'm a highly sensitive person, but being the innkeeper's daughter, you develop a particular flavor of caring and being and caretaking because it was part of the lifestyle. You know, I always had to have a smile on my face and I could never come downstairs in my PJs and if I ever answered the phone call, I would have to say, oh, good morning, tuck in, how can I help you? And so that, that idea of being of service is not only inherent to who I am, but it was also ingrained in who I am. And there are many gifts of being a service-driven person, but there are also many fear-based aspects to being a service-driven person that can hold us back if we don't transform some of those mindsets. And I like working with people who have to break through things that I have overcome, you know, like very naturally attracts like, and some of the greatest breakthroughs in my work have been learning how to take care of myself before I take care of others, learning how to honor my own boundaries so that I can be flat in my business and scaling, you know, really learning how to upgrade my relationship to what I thought I was deserving of so that I could create more abundance in my business. And I've, I've found that a lot of those same breakthroughs and in inner work is, is really a common experience among service driven professionals. It feels like it all makes a lot more sense right now hearing that you grew up in in a service business. I can't imagine what it is to, in your own home, having to get up but be on display. You have to be at work, essentially, the same way that you would be if you were to pull into any other job, but you're however old you are and living your life yeah. and going through your teenage years or your hormones changing and life happening. Did you have siblings that lived with you as, as well? I did. Yeah. I was, I'm the youngest of three. I have an older sister and a brother in the middle and we all worked in the bed and breakfast growing up, but I was kind of the one who, um, you know, I've always been, um, wanting to work and earn money and pay for my travels and adventures. For me, working at the inn always provided a path to independence. And so I, I'd say of the three of us was the most invested in working at the inn at a very young age. And I can remember even in high school, I, I became the innkeeper. My parents would go on a vacation and I would run the inn for a week and 
it was a really wonderful avenue for entrepreneurship and gaining management skills. And, and I learned a lot from that experience. And there were some, some very ingrained habits that I had to unlearn as I wanted to grow. Well, that sounds so interesting to to be able to have that experience at such a young age and then be able to take those lessons and to be able to firsthand have that very young entrepreneurial experience and that responsibility. And also, I think that there is something so beneficial. I'm not sure how it worked for you and your family and in your lifetime. But for me, being in my parents' shop, I had similar experiences where I would answer the phone and I would work for them and I would earn money. But it also gave me a front row seat to the behind the scenes of running a business and the challenges and the things to overcome and the lean times and the good times. And I think that that's helped just fortify me in my business is to just remember that, yeah, sometimes you're just getting by and sometimes you're doing great and it all evens out at the end of the year. Totally, 100%. I have so enjoyed having a chance to chat with you, to to understand more about what it is that you do. Thank you for sharing your morning routines. And I think that it is the piece that you talked about resistance might be like my biggest takeaway today in this conversation, something that I I certainly want to keep mulling over and questioning when I do feel the resistance to do something. Where is that really coming from? And and what belief, you know, maybe it's attached to a limiting belief that I have and, and how can I overcome that? I'm so glad And I appreciated you sharing about how you overcome your resistance with your morning pages because we all experience resistance. Uh, One thing I always love sharing with clients is that the greater the resistance, the greater opportunity for breaking through. And the only way through is through, not around. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a terrific insight. Well, Kat, thank you. Thank you again. I... Is there is there places that the listeners can find you, website, social media, programs? Yeah, absolutely. I send out a weekly newsletter on Fridays, which I really enjoy writing personally. And you can check that out at my website, www.unbounded-potential.com. And I probably share like the most insider view to my life and oftentimes to my systems and my habits over on Instagram at on instagram.com forward unbounded potential. And if there are any other like-minded service-based women entrepreneurs listening in, I, I also run a year long mastermind for women entrepreneurs and I love it. It's a, a lot of conversations just like this. And you can find out about that on my website. The program is called unbounded. I will add all of that to the show notes. Again, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for letting us interrupt your morning routine. I really, when you said that you don't typically take phone calls, I, having created my own morning routine, I thought, wow, that was, wow, we really made the cut to, to you know, be <laughs> part of the day right here. My goodness. It sounded like a fascinating conversation that I couldn't say no to. And it has been. I really appreciate getting to know you, Brittany, and talking to a fellow entrepreneur and daughter of entrepreneurs. I think there's like this unique quality and shared understanding that makes conversation so easy. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today on the Executive Order Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're really enjoying the show, leave me a review. 
you want to connect with the podcast on Instagram or Twitter, you can find it at Executive Order Podcast. And if you want more information or to connect with me about organizing, you can find me at zeniaorganizers.com. All links in the show notes. Can't wait to chat with you in the next episode.